This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome in. It's Wednesday. Atlanta United getting ready for a big game on Saturday against Nashville SC coming off of a big win in Seattle on Sunday. 2-0 there. Yorgos Yakamakis, your MLS player of the match day. Saba is in town. He was at the facility today, landed last night. So it's a very interesting time in the Atlanta United universe right now and a huge game coming up on Saturday, Mike. Big game with golden boot implications, uh, playoff implications, seating implications for sure. These teams are tied on the Eastern Conference table right now. I would even say, I would suggest, hear me out here, MVP implications because, yeah. oh, frankly, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that, you know, Messi, based on 12 games, is going to be able to win league MVP. <laughs> no, if, no. Well, don't laugh. I, I'm telling you what, I mean – I I would not rule anything out. I would not rule. I, of, of course, out. but yeah, I'm. Hani Mukhtar is the favorite right now. He should be, and yeah, I think Tiago should be right there with him. Absolutely. So I mean, you definitely have implications there. It's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday, and Atlanta United coming in with with a ton of momentum uh, after a really good performance Sunday night in Seattle. Really liked what I saw from. Um, you know, a couple people that we haven't seen at all or seen very little of up to this point. I thought Tristan Moyumba, rightfully named to MLS Team of the Match Day, made the bench. Usually you have to score to make Team of the Week, uh, but he at least made the bench, which proves that someone was paying attention. I thought Shande Silva, uh, really good start for him. Really, really good start for him. Uh, maybe kind of trailed off a little bit as the game got shaky early in the second half, but I thought... All in all, very good performance by him. I thought um, Edwin Mascara played very well mm -hmm. again. And I was a little surprised, honestly, to go back and and look at some of the, the fan commentary after the game that I thought was a little bit harsh on Mascara. I thought he was fine. I, I thought he played 
very well on Saturday. Yes, I thought Mateus Ozatu and Mayumba are a great midfield pairing right now. Um, so it's only one game. You are going to inject Saba into this now. Uh, and it sounds like everything I've been told, Jason, is that fitness is not really a concern nope. when it comes to Wabjanitsa. So don't rule anything out for him on Saturday, up to and including a potential start. Uh, and that'll be the next new wrinkle that Atlanta can inject into this series. Nashville's going to be able to inject some new wrinkles as well, including Sam Surridge. So it's going to be fun. There's going to be some differences, but there's going to be a lot of similarities. And And Atlanta's been very, very good at home in this series. Nashville has been very, very good at their home in this series. And, you know, hopefully for Atlanta United home field will be, uh, you know, a, a big advantage this coming Saturday. But Atlanta United has put themselves in a position where this game really means a lot and have put themselves in striking distance of, you know, a, a fourth or a third place finish right now based on what they were able to get on the road on Sunday. Yeah, it was, in my opinion, the best complete performance from Atlanta United this season. Um, the defensive side was very, very good. They get out of there with the clean sheet. You don't get many of those in Seattle. Uh, the two goals were, were different and good. I thought the build-up to the first was excellent with Hosechu springing Almada and an Almada perfectly weighted ball down the flank to Lennon, earns the corner, and then converts on the corner, finding Yorgos, who not just the two goals from Yakamakis, but the overall defensive ability from him and winning the ball back in the middle third. It's crazy that the two leaders in tackles in this match were Yorgos and Tyler Wolf, who played 25 minutes. Yeah. Um, this was a complete performance. And look, it's a performance. Was it perfect? No. Um, show me perfect performances, by the way, because there's not many of them ever, because you're always going to have those drops in games. It happens. You, you get tired. You are dealing with wildfire smoke in your lungs, which is a little unexpected. You are dealing with travel. You're dealing with a good opponent. You know, all kinds of things happen. It's extremely rare at any level to see complete total domination for 90 minutes. What was different in this game was the fact that they handled those lulls better. It's something we've talked about this season where when the energy level has dropped in some games this year, the quality has dropped. And I thought what Atlanta did in this game really well was control the tempo and, and try to play it at their pace for the most part, which wasn't always slow or fast. They changed the tempo really nicely. I thought early on they were very patient. They were slow in build-up but patient, drawing Seattle out, getting the look that they wanted, and then playing through and then going and then hitting the, hitting the gas and getting into the attacking half. There were a lot of really good things in it, and it's a good win, but it's one win, and now you have to build on that. And you have two games at home against two difficult opponents. Now, both of them come in in different situations. Nashville coming in off of a League's Cup final loss on Saturday. Um, where are they emotionally after that? I mean, the, the title was right there for them, and they couldn't get it done against Messi in Nashville. What is their vibe like coming in here to a difficult game on the road for them? And then you turn around to the Wednesday game where Cincinnati plays tonight. They play Miami in the Open Cup semifinal. If they get a win or a loss in that, it's going to have an effect on when they get here to Atlanta. What effect? We just don't know yet. You're at that point in the year where little things can decide games. 
But what Atlanta showed to me in Seattle, and something that I hope they show the rest of the way, is the ability to control as much as possible for as long as possible in matches. And if that means at times slowing the game down, good. If that means at times when you get that breakthrough, going and going fast, good. When there's a bad pass, when there's a giveaway, winning the ball back quickly, yes. These are the things that we saw in Seattle that have to be hallmarks of this team going forward. Yeah, I I like to see kind of the self-awareness that Atlanta United had about the match state on Sunday. I felt like there were moments late in the first half, early in the second half, where Atlanta United was self-aware enough to uh, try to take the, the air out of the ball a little bit, slow things down in possession, catch your breath in possession. That Brad Guzan did a really good job, in particular, just having a feel for Okay, you know what? We're we're gonna slow this thing down here. We're gonna we're gonna pull the air brake. We're gonna stall this thing just a tiny bit to to kind of collect ourselves a little bit. And you know, maybe outside of one or two moments, I did not see Atlanta United get panicky uh on Sunday, which was really good to see. So just a, a really good performance all around. I think one thing that really stood out to me, Jason, we talked about this during the game broadcast on Sunday. Just how Atlanta United was able to to break lines so effectively passing, uh, and that it really did not take long for them at all to get out in transition and create an opportunity where they would get into the final third, and then they would be able to generate a scoring chance either from out wide or centrally. Yeah, they created transitions, and the way they did that a lot was with that patience on the ball resetting to Brad a lot of times and, and having possession start with him and then getting Seattle into the positions that Atlanta wanted them to be in and had a chance to talk to Brad Kazan yesterday after training and he talked about he could see the frustration from Seattle at times where you know Rui Diaz is chasing Ladero's chasing and they're chasing by themselves and Atlanta can just pass sideways pass around and they're yelling at teammates like hey come help us and I talked about it a lot in the call. It looked like a 4-2-4 a lot of times for Seattle, which is not good for them because what happened then is Atlanta's back line of four plus Brad Kazan, that's five versus four. You have a free man at all times, and when you then break that line, you're going against two central midfielders who are completely overwhelmed, and you're able to then break and go forward. And I thought Atlanta did a good job of that. One big talking point coming out of this was the play of Brooks Lennon and playing as a little bit of a modern fullback at times. We've typically seen Lennon make those long overlapping runs, stretch the field wide. In this game, he came inside a lot. At times, he was between the two center backs as that we see a defensive midfielder do that a lot of times, helping and build up. He did that naturally. He played in the the holding midfield at times when he came inside. He played as a, a second 10 at times when he tucked in there. I asked Brad yesterday about that, and here's what Gazan had to say about what he saw from his position starting these build-up sequences and how much it helped with Lennon coming inside in those moments. You talk about numerical advantage, you talk about overloads, and how do you create those numerical advantages? And I think in those moments, especially when we're building on our left side, him to come in on the on, on the, the right side, it doesn't allow for them to have time to one slide across the field, 
and then two, get out to the ball, right? If he's out by the, the touch line, it doesn't allow for them um, when he's playing in the pocket, when he's playing in, in more central, it doesn't allow for them to, to get over. They, they have to retreat. They have to go backwards because he's already on the back shoulder of maybe their, their six or their eight, and he's, he's receiving the ball running at either their left center back or their, or their left back. And, and at that moment, because of the width of our, our winger, it makes it a difficult decision for their back line what to do and how to deal with it. And, and I thought we exposed that really well. Yeah, I thought they did too. And it's it's really simple about how they they did this. It's simple to say it's hard to execute and you got to pick your spots and when to do it. And I thought Lennon did a great job with it. When you're able to build up to the left, and Caleb Wiley gets a lot of credit here too because he tucked inside a good bit, not as a – as a as a midfielder when he tucked inside but tucked in as a as a third center back a lot of times in the buildup. So when you have that ball on the left side and Lennon picks when he comes in and where he comes in, when he comes in as that essentially like a second 10 like Brad was talking about there and he's on the back shoulder of the 6 or the 8 and you know the winger is wider Mosquera most typically in those situations if you're the opponent you're scared at that moment because if they break your pressure where the ball's on the left, you're overloaded. You're, you're, you have to then deal with that. And what Seattle started to do was drop off, and then they couldn't press in those moments. And then Atlanta could play into the middle third very easily and set up shop. Now, Seattle made adjustments, and then Atlanta made adjustments to the adjustments. That's the chess game that you see in these. But I thought the start of the match, the first 25 was really, really good from Atlanta United. And Brooks Lennon and his interchangeability in terms of what position was he playing. I mean, he's a fullback, but he's playing in different parts of the field, creating those overloads, and Atlanta exploited it well. They did. And, you know, I'm, I, you brought up the chess match and, and how Schmetzer and Pineda were making adjustment after adjustment. I thought Pineda finally getting a, a coach of the week shout overdue but glad he got it now 2-0-0 all time against Schmetzer I thought Schmetzer maybe was trying to send a little bit of a message to his team uh with his subs after the second goal bringing in Rothrock and Baker Whiting and uh um uh, Obed Vargas uh you know trying to just try to find a spark I mean Seattle's in a really interesting spot right now they're fourth on the table but I, I think what you saw uh, on Sunday, and I tried to make this point on Twitter after the match, there's been, I think, a, a little bit of unfair um, parsing of Atlanta United's overall record this year. And, well, they're in seventh, and, and this is a team that should be contending for trophies and rabble, rabble, rabble. Um, the Eastern Conference, I, I, I have to say, is noticeably noticeably ahead of the Western Conference this year, one through the bottom. And Atlanta United now is, what, 5-0-1 against the West this year, the one draw being LAFC, scoreless draw. Um, your goal difference in those matches, actually it's 4-0-1, excuse me, it's five matches. Your last one will be against Dallas coming up next weekend. Uh, your 4-0-1, your plus 11 in goal difference. Plus 11 in goal difference and four wins. Um, 
Atlanta United's been dominant against the Western Conference. Well, here's the question. I mean, if Atlanta was in the Western Conference, if we're going to the, the throwback mm-hmm. days of, of the old NFC West or something, yeah. and Atlanta's in the Western Conference, where would they be in the table? Well, beca- now keep in mind they'd be playing a Western Conference schedule. Well, of course, but just in general playing, here. But but uh, right now on their Second. point total, I think they'd be fourth, right? Second. Second, right. They are uh, the Atlanta United is tied on points overall in the seventh spot overall in the league. So they're eighth yeah. on goal difference with Nashville, um, or on total wins. Sorry, that's the first tiebreaker. The the second team in the West is on thirty seven points, LAFC. Now they've got mm-hmm. games in hand and and yes, the schedules will be different, all these things, but the East is more difficult and they are where they they are. Like they earned the thirty eight points. It, it's real. They're not fake points. These are real points. Should they be higher? Yes, they've given up too many bad goals. Talked about it all year long. But you also can't then say that well they should be lower. No, no, they are where they are. Like that's real. They would be higher if they hadn't conceded some of the bad goals. But that doesn't mean you can then take more points away from them. Right. They they have the opportunity to get higher in the table if they play like they did on Sunday and if they play like they have at times this year. It is about consistency, and and most importantly for me, it's about consistently playing the defensive game the way that they did. And you can't separate purely offense-defense in this sport. You just can't. One reason why they were so good defensively in Seattle is they had so much of the ball. And they were able to defend by having possession. And when they did turn it over, and I thought Tyler Wolf was a prime example of this, they turned it over. There were two times that I specifically remember that Wolf wasn't moving in the, the correct space. He wasn't on the same page with a teammate, passed in, in Wolf's direction. He doesn't get there, it turns over. Wolf then won the ball back on the defensive side because they're in good positions because of the possession. Possession isn't just in, and I, I know the possession with purpose thing gets thrown around a lot. It's it's a buzzword that, that drives me insane. Possession has a defensive purpose too, always. When you're keeping possession, you're trying to keep your team connected. So then when the ball turns over, you're in a better position to win the ball back than the opponent is to do something with the ball because you have numerical superiority around the ball and you can win it back. And I thought Atlanta's done a good job of that when they have this kind of possession that is organized, that is, yes, at times it can be a little methodical because you have to work the opponent into the positions that you can exploit. It is a chess match. That, that's a that's That's real. You're trying to get their pieces to move where you want them to move, where they think that's where they want them to go, but they really don't want to go there because you're going to punish them where they left. That's mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. And I thought Atlanta did a great job of it against Seattle. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. I want to go to the Twitch pitch here because there's an interesting conversation and a question about whether or not Atlanta United could actually sneak into CONCACAF Champions Cup next year. And the premise behind the question is if, um, say, Miami, Nashville, and or Philadelphia were to find themselves in one of those automatic transfer spots, uh, supporter shield win, which right now looks to be destined to Cincinnati, even though they've wobbled a little bit. But uh, supporter Shield win, uh, a U.S. Open Cup win. Maybe Cincinnati wins both Open Cup and Supporter Shield, something like that. Could things topple down for Atlanta United to maybe get a automatic qualifying berth based on conference finish? Uh, I haven't really done the math on how many things would need to happen ahead of Atlanta United for that to be possible, but I, I'm certain it is still mathematically possible at this point. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there there's four spots right now and that are open. You have the Open Cup spot that's down to four teams. You have the League's Cup teams that are already in. Now, I, I believe that outside of Philadelphia's they're in a better spot to be a League's Cup qualifier than a League qualifier. Um, the the MLS Cup winner might be the different spot. Um, it's possible. you got to make up some ground in the conference. Uh, your best way is going to be to win MLS Cup. And look, frankly, like the idea that that's impossible is, is not true. It's absolutely not true. Like, I, I again, it goes back to the idea that this team's not as good as their record is. The record's the record. It, it's real. This is a team that I really want to see with Sabo Lobjanitsa on the field. This is a team that in the attack is as good as you're going to find in this league. This is a team with guys that can win games. Tiago Almada can win games. Yorgos Yakamakis can win games. They don't need a lot of chances. They can win games. You have a veteran goalkeeper in Brad Kazan. You have a U.S. national team center back in Miles Robinson that if you look at when the defense has had its biggest lapses, it's been when Miles hasn't been there. This is a team that, yes, can go on a playoff run and win MLS Cup. Other than that, you're going to need a lot of help and other things to fall your way, and there's nothing you can control. You want to play your way in? Go win MLS Cup. Yeah, uh, Ricky Ricardo is pointing out, by the way, might actually be based on supporter shield finish and not conference finish now. I'm not. It's the, the conference finish is just the other conference winner other than supporter shield. So it's, it's MLS Cup winner, it's supporter shield, it's the other conference winner, and then the next best. Right. Now, Got if it. there's then the situations where people get other spots, other ways in, then it's still just next best in the overall supporter shield table. Got it. Uh, yes, everyone agrees. Next best two now. Yes. Uh, Christopher wants to know if Miami were to win the open cup, then who would get that extra spot? Would it go to the other open cup finalist, a fourth place finisher from leagues cup 
or would it default back to the MLS regular season? Well, it wouldn't go. It wouldn't have anything to do with the League's Cup because it's a completely different way of getting in. Um, it is a good question. I don't think it goes to League. My assumption would be that it goes to the Open Cup finalist. Um, if they're already getting in, then it gets really complicated because you're not going to create a playoff between the losing semifinalists. Yeah. Well, um, and then and then let me add to the confusion. If RSL is the losing finalist to Miami, RSL could get in on regular season MLS finish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's unlikely, but yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah. it, you know, uh, they're they're what they're fourth in the West right now. Yeah, I don't have the table in front of me. Well, I I'll think so. I think you're right. They're fourth or fifth. Yeah, I mean Houston would be the the, the outlier. Like they they are unlikely at this point to work themselves into a you know a transfer spot based on league finish. Um, but yeah, RSL's third in the West right now, but on thirty seven points, Houston is sixth in the West on thirty two points. Keep that in mind. Thirty two points is sixth in the West. It would be ninth in the East. You know, 30 points is out of the playoffs right now. That's the playoff line in both conferences. Dallas and, and D.C. both on, on 30 points. But uh, you have Vancouver and Minnesota both on 31 who are in the playoffs right now. So The spots long way to go, but have it, priority just with Champions Cup. Um, the League's Cup spot has greater priority than anything else. Um MLS Cup would be the same. So those are the two. So if Miami, for example wins the open cup that open cup spot is the one that would change not leagues cup because leagues cup gets you into a bye to the round of 16 in the new mm -hmm. CONCACAF champions cup everybody else goes into round one so they're going to take the leagues cup spot for example then the open cup spot has to be determined in a different way and it's just from that competition because the open cup spot is not related to mls or to leagues cup it's purely from the Open Cup. So U.S. Soccer would have to, not MLS, U.S. Soccer would have to figure out how that spot is determined. And if it's the runner-up, then that's easy. If, it, if the runner-up is getting in another way, then it gets complicated. It's just interesting, though, how, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, the, the questions we were getting would have not included anything about could Atlanta United sneak in the Champions Cup. And uh, there's been a definite change in vibe over the last 72 hours. But that, that's, that's okay. Um, Want to ask you about Open Cup tonight. And uh, Cincinnati, Miami, Houston, RSL. What do you think about the Cincinnati, Miami situation? I, I actually, in the back of my head, I wondered over the weekend if Miami, now with their Champions Cup berth secure, if they might even rotate for this match tonight. You're saying there's no possible way they're going to do that. No chance. No chance. These are... These are guys who are trophy hounds. They want to win every trophy that they possibly can. That's why you have the success that you do if you're Lionel Messi, who's won more trophies than any player who's ever played the game, period. He'd love to have another one. That's just the kind of player he is. Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba the same way. And now it's contagious, and you got other guys in this team who are like, hey, we're two games away from winning another trophy. Yeah, we're going to go for it in these. Um I think, honestly, the, the league, because it's the, the hardest one for them to pull off, is the one where if, you win, if you're Miami and you win League's Cup and you win Open Cup and you're going to Champions Cup next year and you don't get into the playoffs, 
that's okay. They are not going to hate themselves if that's the way it goes down. Now, I still think that Messi is going to play a lot more than others think just because of his history and the way he is wired. He's going to hit some walls here at some point because you would assume he's going to be part of the Argentine national team in World Cup qualifying because he's the best player in the world and they want to qualify for the next World Cup and defend their title. So that takes him on a trip in September. That takes him on a trip in October. These are going to be things that are just you know difficult to deal with. But also, and everybody likes to show the videos, he's not running around a whole lot in games. He's very smart about how he manages his energy, how he picks his spots, how he exploits opportunities. He's really good at that. So... You're not asking him to be a fullback, for example, and run up and down the line all day long and then travel to Bolivia and do it and then travel back here to do it. You're not asking him to do that. You're asking him to decide the game. That's what you're asking him to do is to decide the match and pick the opportunities to do it. So he's a smart enough player to be able to play a whole lot of minutes between Argentina and Miami and all the way through. Now, Busquets and Alba, it's a little bit different question. And Busquets is the one that I keep, looking at to see if that's going to get exploited at times. But just like we talked about with Atlanta United's midfield, with Tristan Muyamba, with Mateus Osechu, you don't have a pure six between the two of them. But if you're going to dominate possession, you don't need a pure six. You don't need a destroyer six. You don't need a big defensive six. Sergio Busquets has never been a big defensive six. He's dominated possession. He's dominated the ball, and he's killed you with it. So... Miami's built to deal with these things, but it's more of Busquets and Alba that I worry about from an age and a fatigue perspective than Messi. I think Messi's a an alien at this point, and he's still playing as the best player in the world right now, period. Do you think when factoring in rest, conditions, all of that, Cincinnati might be in line to maybe get him tonight? And be the first team to beat Miami. You don't think so? No, because I don't think Cincinnati's in a great run of form. Um, They've won two of their last five. They've got a nice cushion. They're at home, a a little bit different animal to deal with. And that's going to be the interesting factor here is that home crowd. And we've seen it in a lot of places where the home crowd honestly gets tamped down a good bit when Lionel Messi shows up. Is that going to happen in Cincinnati? Uh, Everybody freaked out about a, a... a bakery doing messy cookies and everybody started yelling at the bakery for advertising that. So maybe Cincinnati won't give in to that. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be curious to see what the feel is like tonight, but I think with a team that's going to play in the way that Cincinnati does, and they're going to be high intensity, high pressure. I think they run the risk of getting picked apart. They can't do what Philadelphia did. They can't go halfway with it. If they're going to, if they're going to play their game, they have to be as they have to be more intense than usual. They have to when they press. If if somebody steps to to Messi and he drops it back to the next guy, that guy's got to continue chasing, and then somebody else has got to step up on Messi. And you have to continue finishing plays. Philadelphia got a little tentative, and that's why they got cut to pieces. Cincinnati can't allow that to happen. I've got a feeling they allow that to happen. My question about Cincinnati all year long has been. Can they do it in big games? We're going to get a good answer to that tonight, and we'll see where they are mentally. 
they haven't really been great in their showcase games lately. Um, you know, they had a big one right before League's Cup at home against New England. They weren't great in that one. They certainly were not great this past Sunday night against Columbus. Um, and that that was a road game. That's obviously a, a tough one for them, but they got run out of the park in, in uh, the Hell is Real Derby. So you got to learn um, how to win big games. It's something that every team has to deal with. And this is their first time being in this spot with a target on your back. You can have the great regular season, and they could win Supporter Shield. They, they've, they've done that. But to win trophies outside of the Supporter Shield, you've got to step up even higher in big games. And I need to see that they can do that first. I don't trust them there yet. It's the same with Nashville. And look, that's been what I've said about Nashville for a while. I feel like they've lacked a killer instinct at times in big games, in playoff games. I thought the the League's Cup final was maybe their best performance in one of those kind of games. They got beat by a moment of brilliance from Messi, and they found a way back into it. They had opportunities to win. They could have got beaten in regulation, especially at the end. But they played their best, grittiest big game in that one. Because they didn't win, though, can they continue to raise the bar in those games, or does that start to get in the back of your head that, Maybe we're just not quite good enough. I don't think Cincinnati has an answer to that yet. And tonight no. we're going to start to find out. Yeah, no, good point. If, if they won tonight, it would be their biggest win in club history. Absolutely. And then it's a launching pad for them the rest of the way. Yep. The, yep. the cup hangover is a real thing. I mean, I, I've seen it at the lower division level. I, I've, I've watched the team go through it. It happens because you put so much into those cup games and you start to get to where you can – you can feel the trophy. Uh, you can you can almost touch it, and then if if you win it, you just have a letdown emotionally. It's just it's all you can do because you won it. Now you accomplished that. Now you've got to recharge. If you lose it, it can be really difficult to bounce back from. So this is a big game on a lot of different levels for Cincinnati. If they win it, watch out for them the rest of the way because they're going to have all that confidence. If they don't. Mm, the Eastern Conference might get even weirder as we go. Yeah, no, <laughs> and it could bring teams like Philadelphia and Nashville, um, and possibly even Atlanta right back into the and Orlando too. Orlando would be a team that I, I wouldn't necessarily rule out at this point. Okay, one more I want to ask you about before we go: Portland sacking Giovanni Savarese yesterday. Your thoughts on that? It's been time, but. I don't like them firing him before the season's over. I think Savarese earned the opportunity to finish the year out. I really do. Uh, he's the best manager that Portland's ever had. Most most wins, two cup final appearances. Hey, he's the only guy who can ever say that he won MLS is back. He won that. Um, mm -hmm. He's one of the really good guys in the game in this country. Uh he deserved an opportunity to finish the year out. Now, it was time to change. And I thought it was honestly, it's a couple, last couple of years, I thought it's been time. Um, you get to the final in 21, that's going to buy you a little bit of time. Last year, they didn't make the playoffs. That sets the alarm bells in motion. But once you decide to start 23, I think you have to finish 23 with him. I, I really do. I, I, it, it hurts to see him get fired in that way. Um, it was a bad loss, a really bad loss after the break and coming back and going to Houston and losing 5-0. Really bad. I mean, they're in the playoff race. I think they're five points out. 
does an interim manager change anything? I, I don't know. But I think just the way that you you treat people and from everything I've ever heard about how Giovanni Savarese treats people, he deserved the opportunity to finish the year out. He really did. And, look, it's probably not going to affect anything that they fired him now. And I don't think it's going to be something that managers say, well, I don't want to go there because of that. It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth, honestly, because I have the utmost respect for Giovanni Savarese as a competitor, as a manager. And, you know, a lot of times they say that guys who, who lose their job and, and in this situation they should take some time off before coming back into it. There's teams with open spots, and he would be the first call that, that some clubs should make. I think he's a guy who can set the, the intensity level, the mentality – the professionalism of your club straight out of the gate. He can do that. And there's some clubs that really could use somebody like that. So we'll see what happens for him, what's next for him. But yeah, I don't, I don't like the idea that he was fired midseason. I, I think he deserved more than that. I think in a situation like that, someone who has um, been for the most part, very successful at a, a, a club, big part of the identity of the club, Unless you are planning to hire someone this year with the intent of making him or her the permanent manager, yeah, I I don't know. I think Geo should have been given the uh, the grace to finish out the season, and they yeah. still could have made the playoffs. But yeah, uh, I, Chris I, brings I, yeah. up a good point. You you put him up in Toronto, and uh, that, well, that could be a very interesting spot. Well, for him. No, it because, sounds like Toronto's already got their direction going, and I think it is a potentially colossal failure who is uh, it john herdman john herdman from the canadian national team who mm. is broke who is not playing games in september because they are broke they got one game scheduled the rest of the year in october um he's basically said they're broke uh the federation said that they're broke he's interested his representation reached out to toronto they have met the athletics been reporting it I, the reason why I don't like it, if he goes in and you put a winning technical director there to build the team and you tell him to coach, maybe. I'm still skeptical, but maybe. I don't think they're going to be able to get him to leave a national team that has their tickets booked to the next World Cup. I don't think they yeah. can get him without giving him a lot of control, and he's never been in this situation. Yep. Running a national team is not running a club and then picking all the players for said club. Yeah. I think Toronto, if that's the move they make, and, and you can you can clip this and you can tell me I'm wrong if it, it goes the other way in a couple of years, I think this could be maybe the most colossal failure that Toronto has had. And they've had a lot of colossal failures over the years. They had a great run under Greg Vanny and when they had Tim Bezbachenko there, and Vanny had a lot of say. But they had the GM, and then when Bezbachenko left, and then Fanny ultimately left, that's the only successful era Toronto's ever had. I think if they hire John Herdman and they give him the control that I think they're going to have to to get him, it's not going to work. Yeah, interesting for him, too, because uh, although the Canadian FA is broke, he is almost certain to keep his job through this next oh, cycle. Oh, yeah. They can't and, hire anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and nor, honestly, nor should they, um, based <laughs> on know. performance. <laughs> I think, I, think, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, Nations League aside, um, you know, I, I think Gold Cup aside, it would be, 
That's I think a, a little sides. bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I, I thought he was very naive at the World Cup, um, uh, not just because of what he said about Croatia and giving them bulletin board material and uh, tabloid material. That was very, very naive. Um, I think tactically they're very naive. I, I think th- I think they're in a golden generation, and they did probably about what that roster should have done. I don't think he got more out of the group than he sh- than he could have. I just don't think he has the chops to be successful at the club level, especially if he's building the team. Um, I think it's a huge mistake by Toronto if that's the direction they go. Yeah. Well, uh, interesting times across the league. As, as I said, all the way back in April, I thought it was very odd to see the hair trigger this year on managers, um, hair trigger being pulled. And, uh, um, you know, that's another one with Savarisi where I thought at least he should have been afforded the grace to finish out the season. Chicago, Anyhow, sh- Chicago should hire Giovanni Savarisi. Chicago would be a great, great spot for him. His style, great. his mentality, he yep. would he would be a star in that town. I think he'd get people interested in, in what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. and it's a team that's not that far away no, either, I, I think. I don't think so either. Um, I mean, in fact, they're above the playoff line right now, but team not that far away, I think, from being really good in the Eastern Conference, and they've been down for a while. Okay, uh, let's see, 7 o'clock. Saturday, Five Stripes Countdown. Uh, 7.30 Saturday, Atlanta United and Nashville. Next Wednesday, I don't think we're going to do a stoppage time because it'll be a match day, Atlanta United and Cincinnati. So uh, our next stoppage time likely in two weeks. Uh, we'll be in a at that point an international break coming off the Dallas match. So we'll have a lot to talk about between now and then. So that's three matches. How many points do you think out of those uh, possible nine? So Nashville, Cincinnati, and then Dallas. Yeah, we're gonna go five. I'm gonna go six. I'm gonna go two okay. Wins. Okay, two wins and a loss. I have two a win and two draws. Yep. I think either way, that would not be too terrible, uh, considering the stretch you're going into. Absolutely. Um, so uh, yes, uh, Tom, seven thirty nine kick. On Saturday, thank and you, you can for listen that. to us on Apple TV as well. We're back. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're back on Apple. That's right. Good, good shout. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Stoppage Time here on Facebook and Twitch. Have a good. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for Week Number One. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 